We are live in the Brigino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark Cast Iron Building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. We start today as we always do. To those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. To those who have been in the clubhouse before, welcome home. And I would like to welcome and turn this over to Joe Hamry, the president of Baseball Prospectus, for our All-Star Scouts Roundtable. Thank you, Jay. Um, and thanks, everybody, for joining us today. A really special thanks to Jay for arranging this for us and making this so easy to work, uh, work out. One of the reasons why we're doing this today um, is that we've, we at Baseball Perspectives have always been known kind of as a statistics-based site. You know, we've worked on analytics and those kinds of things and over the years. We've kind of changed our focus, I wouldn't say focus specifically, but we've kind of changed our mix. And we want to operate more like a team and a front office where we combine statistical analysis and scouting and player development. Um, scouting is pretty close to my heart. Um, one of the things that some people don't know and my guys know is that I'm actually a scout school graduate from 2008. I went to the Kansas City Royals, so I've done some scouting on my own, even though I'm a lot of statistical analysis at heart. But we're going to do a lot more with baseball prospectus in the scouting player development area over the years, and we've done we put together a team this year, which has been very important. And I'll introduce a couple of those guys here as well. We've had a little few roster changes here today, like any other scouting department goes through it, and people on the road. Unfortunately, Dan Evans could not make it. He had an assignment that he had to take, and he was he's been out of town, so I apologize for that. It's kind of a last minute thing. Dennis Sheehan from the Braves is en route all over Manhattan at the moment. <laughs> um, his GPS is redirecting everywhere, and I feel really bad about this. So Dennis may be, I tried to get him on the right track, so hopefully he'll be here soon. He'll just join, join us. With, um, but I want to introduce the gentlemen that are here with me right now, um, one of which doesn't need an introduction. One of them sure does, not sure about these introduction. But to my immediate left is Don Welkie from the Texas Rangers, and um, our director at Baseball Perspectives for our scouting and minor league prospect analysis, uh, Jason Park. So the way we'll do this is we'll, we'll start off with some questions. I'm going to ask these guys questions and let them you know, give you some of the background of what they do. And then once we're done with that, we'll just open it up to questions from you guys. I think we'll be fine that way. Okay, so I'll start with you, Don. Um, just tell us a little about your position, what you do, your career in baseball in general, like the teams you've worked for, and what's your, your role right now with the Rangers. Well, I'm the uh, special assistant to John Daniels, the general manager uh, in charge of scouting, so I'm involved in all the assets, uh, facets of scouting for the Rangers. And uh, I don't know, I am a very, very fortunate individual, as we all are. Anybody that's here loves this game, obviously, and I think it's a pleasure and a privilege for me to be able to be here with all you guys who you obviously love the game like we do. So I'm very fortunate to have been able to had a long career in baseball. I started out as a in 1965 as a uh, associate scout, and from there became uh, one of the guys in 1969 with the Kansas City Royals that did the Royals Baseball Academy, and we did uh, tryout camps all over the country and came up with some players that were not drafted. For example, Frank White. Uh, you know, guys that were under the radar that were athletes and we a new concept entirely was a fun experience. From there, uh, along the way, I was a high school teacher, high school principal, 
coach basketball, baseball, uh, football, girls athletics in uh, Tigerton, Wisconsin, and then was a principal at Everett, Michigan, an athletic director and uh, basketball, baseball coach, and then basketball, baseball coach at Concordia Lutheran Junior College in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, and Dean of Men, and along with those things, uh, scouted all along, and then went full-time in 1976 with the Toronto Blue Jays, and had a great uh, 20 years with the Blue Jays, and it, Actually, I've spent 25 years with Pat Gillick, Hall of Fame general manager, and the best ever in my mind. Uh, maybe because a lot of times we think alike, <laughs> but when we don't think alike, it's a good thing too because we talk baseball, you know, reasoning kind of thing. But very fortunate to work with him for 25 years uh, with the Orioles, with the Blue Jays, and with the Phillies. And then in uh, 2006, uh, John Daniels uh, asked for permission from Pat that I might be able to help over there with the Texas Rangers and a young group of scouts and a young group of people. Jason knows a lot of our people. Uh, you guys probably do. And it was a great challenge again. Uh, look back to the Blue Jay Challenge again. And we've kind of built ourselves kind of after the way the Blue Jays were, great athletes and you know, guys with big upside and hopefully big uh, makeup. Big makeup is important, very important to me. Every year I scout, makeup is more important. Uh, used to be, I think, that it was 75% talent, 25% makeup. I still definitely think that talent is the most important, and, but now I'm going 55% talent, 45% makeup. Because, you know, we see these all-stars, we see these guys every day, and some of these guys make themselves players. Uh, you know, the, you can name numerous guys that make themselves players because of this. And whenever you see this, you pay attention as a scout. Or whenever you see a guy that can do things easily, that is an easy swing, that is an easy delivery, that has an easy... You pay attention because those guys have a lot better chance to make adjustments all the way up the ladder than the other guys. And, you know, interesting that uh, Joe mentions a statistical thing. I'm not a statistical guy. Uh, is that part of the equation? Yeah. But, you know, everybody's different, and everybody goes with their own personality. And I have, you know, John Daniels and us at the Rangers, we use all that we can use. We use the statistical, we use the, but we use scouts a lot. And, you know, to me, scouting is an instinctive thing, just like play is an instinctive thing. How much, statistics will tell you something, every little thing, tell, video tells you something and so on, but what you really need to know the most about a player, I think, is what's in here and what's in here. Now, sometimes they'll show you that on the field and they'll jump right out at you on the field. Very seldom, though, do they jump right out at you, you know, in a game. Jim Abbott did for me. Kirk Gibson did for me. There are numerous guys, a few guys that do that. But you have to check on the inside, the makeup, what's going on in their life, what's their, what they're, why they're driven to be something special, what, what drives them to be 
better than anybody else. Not average. What drives a guy to be super terrific? We're very strong in the international market. We've had some success there. But it used to be in the international market. Am I going on too much? No, keep here? going. Okay. <laughs> you asked me to talk. Scout no, 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 no. All stuff. That's, that's where we want to get started. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but it used to be in the international market, the Dominican Republic. Uh, we, and the, we, the Blue Jays, and the Dodgers were the forerunners in the Dominican Republic. Now everybody is there because those kids love baseball. Just love baseball. But it used to be if a guy could run good or throw good, team signed him right on the spot, you know. No, we don't do that at all. We want the guy who has some drive not to just get signed and get a little bit of money, but the guy who wants to play in the World Series. And I tell all our guys from a young age when we sign them and so forth that, hey, what is your goal out there? Your goal should not be to play at double A, to play at triple A. Is your goal, have you accomplished your goal when you're a player in the major leagues? No, no. Your goal should be to want to contribute to a winning team in the World Series and to prepare yourself to do that. Preparation for success all along the way is not to play 162 games, it's to be ready to play when the lights go on and when the pressure's on and so on and so forth. And, you know, I always say that uh, our job is to accelerate the progress of the gifted. So first of all, we have to get the gifted so we can give the gifted player to the player development so they can work with him throughout. And I'm also a proponent, and these are all generalities, because one of the biggest things that I always say is there are no absolutes in baseball. I mean, I love Jim Abbott. He was first on my list. I had a Larkin in high school, but he had one hand. So what? You know? He's good, man. He's good, and there are no absolutes that you say you can't pitch because, and you know, there are people and and all throughout the industry and so forth and, that said, hey, Don, it's hard enough to pitch with two hands. Are you sure that, you know, that what's going on here? Well, we came very close to signing Jimmy. He did not do it. He went to the University of Michigan. And, you know, it's a great story. Uh, that's a, but that's an example. There are no absolutes in baseball. You don't have to be tall to play baseball. You, you don't have to be, you know, you can be a tall catcher. You can be a short pitcher. You can be a Pedro Martinez. You can be this. You can be that. The great thing about baseball, there are no absolutes. Uh, and, and you better... Pay attention when you see somebody that's driven to do something special and has the God-given talent given to him that he can, you know, exacerbate those abilities. Uh, I guess that's about it. I certainly uh, <laughs> That was good. <laughs> I could keep going. Uh, I'll let Jason answer Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Jay, you know, you're doing a different role with, with us, uh, not the traditional scouting role, but just tell us a little bit about what you do and what has drawn you to wanting to scout players, and who are some of your mentors in doing this? Little loaded question. Well, not the guy to my right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I come from a weird background. Like I, you know, I studied philosophy in art school. Um, you know, I played baseball in high school, but I didn't go into baseball beyond that. Um, 
I was always drawn to uh, aspects of development, player development, uh, personal maturity, uh, physical maturity, and how uh, the makeup component can drive those to greater heights than just what you see initially. Um, I've always been, I grew up in North Texas, so I was always a fan of Texas Rangers. Um, started, you know, following the minor leagues at a very young age, but you know, it, you know at a cursory level because, you know, the information just wasn't there. You know, I couldn't, I could read box scores and whatever, but I couldn't read like scouting reports. I didn't have access to that. It was before this new dawn of, uh, you know, where you can find, you know, online scouting reports. You can talk to people in the game. You know, I didn't have access to anything like that. Um, <clears throat> I was just kind of drawn to it. And I started going to uh, backfield games, like instructional leagues and stuff like that, just because uh, nobody else was there. You know, and I was kind of, I was drawn to like, I, it sounds weird, but I just wanted to watch like young kids play baseball. Young professional kids. <laughs> 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 and, you know, it, I, once I was out there, this was, you know, six or seven years ago, and, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to be introduced to, to people like Don, to people like uh, AJ Feller, although I don't want to give him too much credit, um, to other people, and, and, and the game to roll in the backfield. And nobody else was out there. You know, not a lot of fans, maybe some autograph seekers, but basically it was just front office people, scouts, and a couple of diehard people like me and Jason Cole, who also works for Baseball Perspectives, just standing out on the backfields, just cooking in the sun, watching 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds take their first steps in the game. And that was that just fascinated me, you know? That was that was everything to me. And that's when I knew that there was one moment I went out there, it was like 8 in the morning, and like there was just the people that were working on the fields, and the players started to come out and get their warm-ups in, and it was just me in the backdrop of Arizona and the mountains, and man, I knew right then, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is where I need to be. This is the, That was the first time in my life I felt comfortable in what I was doing. And then, you know, getting to watch games with Coach, just... You know, all day long for, for weeks at a time. Like, and listening. You know, the best thing to do is just listen. And then, that's what I, I like, I have feel for it. You know, I know I, I have feel for evaluation, but I needed someone to, to kind of help mold me and, like, say, this is, you know, this is what I look for. What do you look for? What are you seeing? You know? And that's where it kind of came about, like, sitting with, with Coach and with, with AJ and with other people in the industry. And I didn't know if I, you know, I can write too. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I'll, the end, end, end game for me is I'll, I'll work for a team. That's what I want to do. Right now, getting to work for baseball perspectives, getting to work with, with talented evaluators. See, we're not journalists. I don't want to be a journalist. I don't consider myself a journalist. Um, I don't even consider myself a writer. I'm a talent evaluator who, who happens to write a little bit. And I'm using that as a means to get what I want. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have a guy like Joe Hamrahi who allows me to put those reports out there, allows me to put a team together, allows me to go to the fields all over the country and watch these players and put out these scouting reports that I get to then talk to, to guys like Don and say, you know, you're not right here. This isn't right. And then I learn. And this is all a learning process. You know, and I'm, I'm, re- I'm really excited to be able to work for Baseball Perspectives. And, uh, you know, it's, it's giving me the opportunity to one day get where I want to be, which is working for a team. I, I think one thing... People neglect a little bit, and, and Jason hit on it a little bit here. Is that when a lot of people go down to spring training in Florida or Arizona, and you, know, you focus on going to watching the game. You, know, you want to go see the games and play and those games. There's this whole other world of these, you know, the backfields that most people don't ever go to see or watch or even know they exist. Um, it's you, you, you owe it to yourself as a baseball fan 
even if you go back and spend an hour one day that you're in spring training, just to hang around. I mean, it's like going up to you know a little league game. You walk up to the back of the backstop. It's literally that close. You literally walk up that close. And you may be even lucky. You'll get to see you know one of the guys <laughs> rehabbing. I, mean, I, I remember one, one year, the year that Joe Marrow got hurt and came back, and Joe Marrow was playing three games in the backfield. So right, you know, right in front of me there, um, you know, behind the backstop. And you just literally stand right there. Yeah, so, so you know, it appeals to different generations of things. But just to see what goes on in the instructional part of that, you know, and how they roll players in and out, and it, it's just a, it's a fascinating to get you know, that understanding of the game and what goes on at that level. It's, it's very interesting. So um, just moving on to the next question. So, so Don, this, this is one of the things that interests, interests me. So give us a sense of some of the players you're most proud of signing, spotting, or maybe discovering in your career. Well, there's a lot of them. Uh, I'm proud of Jim Abbott for what he's done. I'm proud of Pat Henkin, who was a Cy Young winner, who I saw in high school at Fraser High School in Michigan. proud of Dave Steve, who I saw at uh, Southern Illinois University. I'm proud of John Olerud, who I followed all summer, uh, one summer, and then we finally signed him at the end of the summer. Uh, he loved New York, by the way. When he came here, he said nobody recognized him. He loved right around on the <laughs> But I'm proud of a lot of the range. I'm proud of Josh Hamilton, who we made a you know concerted effort to get from the uh, from the Reds and pushed hard to get him. Proud of Adrian Beltre, who I know with the Dodgers and pushed hard to get here. Proud of Elvis Andrus. Uh, Neftali Fleas is a good story. He was on a backfield that I saw walking around at Bright House Field on a backfield throwing for Atlanta one day. Very loose, free, easy guy. And, and I went over to the scorebook and I said, who's that guy catching for Atlanta? I didn't care about the catcher. I wanted to look at the name of that pitcher. It was Neftali Fleas. A little and secret information there. Yeah. He ended up being a rookie of the year a couple years ago. And... Uh, been hurt now, but he'll be back uh, within a um, couple of months. And uh, but we followed him all summer long. I mean, every game we monitored what he did because uh, I went to the Rangers and uh, we knew who it was and so forth. And and then in the trade, we insisted we wanted him, and we got him along with Elvis and uh, you know uh, Harrison and uh, and uh, the catcher Salvamaki. But anyway, uh, Robbie Ross, very proud of him. Saw him in high school. Showed you this, you know. Very, very good young individual. Shepherds, uh, you know. Uh, Darvish, we as a group, in a very interesting way, we scouted him. And, you know, I could probably keep going yeah, on. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, that's, good. that's good. Actually, what, well, why don't you talk a little bit about the Darvish situation as much yeah. as you can? I yeah. think it's an interesting story for people. <laughs> Yeah, that's more public. Well, interesting in Japan, if you want to have a player out of their professional league, you have to go through a posting process, which means you have to make a bid like they did on Matsuzaka, like they did on Ichiro initially, and so on. You have to outbid every other team uh, in order to win the bid, so to speak. But you have to, in that allotted amount of money, pay the team a lot of money out of the money you allot, probably as much or more than you pay the player. So it's not a good system as far as, uh, you know, 
financially and so on. And I know they spent a lot of money on Matsuzaka. We spent a lot of money, over $100 million on uh, Darvish. But their team got half of that money. And so Darvish, for what we pay him, is a, is a bargain, you know. But the team and the posting process, you know, got a lot of money. But uh, to go along or answer what you said, Joe, is that uh, we had somebody see him every single game the last year. Every game he pitched, we had a Ranger scout there. And then we knew the agent, Don Nomura, and we knew the family, got to know the family some, and unbelievably, you Darvish wanted to be a Texas Ranger. He did not want to be a Yankee. He did not want to be a Red Sox. He wanted in his heart to be a Texas Ranger. He wanted, he was hoping we would get the bid. And the reason he wanted to be a Texas Ranger is that he followed our team. He saw us in the World Series. He saw our team. He likes the energy that our players, this, that, and the other. But he wanted to be the guy who would help take a team to the promised land, to the World Series championship for the first time. Which, so when we've never won the World Series. And but he wanted that challenge. Go ahead. No, no. So, so the internal... I know, this, you know you guys get in the room and you don't talk about this ongoing. And, and, and John John Daniels have talked a little bit about this and we've talked to him in the past. It's not as simple as saying everybody just gets into the room and agrees, right? You guys kind of banter back and forth, I'm sure, about... No but you know how much this you know you're spending a lot of money on this guy. No doubt. You know who there's got to be people that this argument ensues essentially, correct? No doubt, and that's uh, that's great. I mean, you got oh, we had twelve to fifteen scouts, and all had little different opinions and so on. So in the end, John puts all the scouts together, listens to everything that's said. We we do that and listen to everybody that's seen him and what they think and. It, how and why, and then make a recommendation to ownership. Uh, fortunately, uh, our ownership has been outstanding. Uh, we were bankrupt in 2010 and won the whole thing. I mean, won the American League bankrupt. So then, but we got Cliff Lee, and ownership was very, very supportive of our strong recommendation to get him. Okay, so the next, then we got you, Darv. I mean, then we got. Adrian Beltre, thinking he might be the guy that take us over the top. And ownership was very strong. We were strong to ownership, and they were fine with us on that one, too. And then you, Darvish. So they've all been successful, so to speak. They haven't taken us over the top. But ownership is very good about that. And, and in baseball today, it's not like it used to be where... You know, Mo and uh, people have been around the block for a long time know that the ownership used to be by families. And then, consequently, they would hire uh, people, baseball people, to do the baseball work, period. Now, ownership is by corporate or, or you know, business people, basically speaking, that are not family baseball, you know, oriented and they hire people anyway, it's different. Right. Jay, just a little different question for you. Um, you know, you've seen a lot of players and we've talked about a lot of different players. Um, you know, I know this is, this, you're probably going to have a lot of people on this list, but 
has there been a, maybe a couple of players maybe that come to mind that you just saw that just wowed you but that just didn't really get the attention that you thought they deserved maybe over the years and, or I'm not saying that they didn't get drafted but maybe they weren't as high a draft pick or you know as recognized as they should have been well I mean it's I haven't started watching amateur talent, you know, in the last couple That's of years. Okay. So, so I, you know, I don't have a history of watching high school and college players. I mean, I've lived in New York for 11 years. I'm from Texas, but I've lived in New York for 11 years. And, you know, no offense to this area, but it's not the best area for amateur talent. Yeah, let me let me change it a little so it's a little bit, a little bit different question. The guys that you see in the minor league level that maybe aren't as heralded, you know, to the general public or just in, in general, but you think maybe have a better, higher trajectory than some people think that they do. I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. So. Yeah, well, there's not a good answer. You know, because uh, I'm either right or I'm wrong. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm fortunate enough to, you know, to go to fields and, you know, be able to, to sit with scouts. And so, like, there are players that I've been wrong on, but it's usually I'm, I'm – the reasoning is right. You know, I like I like toolsy guys. I like high-risk guys. I like, tool, you know, I like high-ceiling guys. And with those types, you're going to be wrong a lot because a lot of those guys are boom or bust. Um, you know, I like the high-end athletes. I mean, I, I, I'll talk about this guy all day long. Again, he's, you know, there's a, he's not going to make it. But, like, Jordan Aikens is a guy in the Rangers system that when you see this guy, you see, like, a Matt Kemp prototype. You see... You know, a D1 football guy who, you know, you're trying to play baseball who just doesn't have a lot of baseball skill. And it's, he, his failures have actually taught me more about scouting than any of the successes. Because you see this guy and you, you start to dream big. I mean, you look at the athleticism, ugly. You look at the size, strength. This guy is six foot three, 220 pounds, 230 pounds. He's a physical specimen. He can run, he can throw, he can hit for power in batting practice. He can do all these things that are just remarkable. Problem is, is that it's taught me that baseball feel and baseball instincts are, are more important than just the physical specimen, just the tool characteristics. And I've watched this guy play baseball all you know since he signed. And every time I watch him, I'm just in awe of his physical specimen. The problem is, is that he can't play baseball very well. I'm sorry, but I just don't. I just you know he's not going to play baseball. Very well. He doesn't have a natural basketball ability. But it's also taught me that, you know, to really look at the field. It's, as Coach was saying, do they do it easy? Can you just put the bat to the ball? Can hitters hit? Good hitters hit. Bad hitters don't. You know, people who can't hit don't hit. And that's one of the things that, you know, I've really learned from. So I don't have a, you know, the success stories are easy. You know, it's, it's easy to look at a profile when he's 17 years old and go, oh, I get it. I get that. Because he's just, you know, he's, he's good from the beginning. Profar was exceptional from the beginning. And this is a funny story. Coach will, he's going to hit me with this a bit later. I'm sure he was saving it up. When Profar first signed, half the teams in baseball saw him as a pitcher. Half the teams in baseball told me personally, oh, he's going to end up in the mound. He's going to end up back in the mound in a year and a half, two years. Just watch. He'll never make it out of A ball as a hitter. Well, I mean, I wasn't propagating this. I was just, you know, when asked my opinion, I said, well, another team told me this. Um, <laughs> okay, this guy will never let it down. He thinks that I, this was my scouting report, which it was not my scouting report. I did not say he was going to be a pitcher. <laughs> this guy, when Profar was 16 years old, looked at me and he goes, you see that kid right there? He's going to be the number one prospect in baseball in a couple of years. I said, I don't know, coach, man. I mean, there's a lot of teams in baseball who think that he's, 
you know, better suited for a pitcher. You know, a lot of people didn't see him as a hitter at all. A lot of people don't think that he's got the skill board. A lot of people don't think that he's got the, the intangibles to be a, a position player. He was right. Where's he was play? Huh? Where's he play? Great question. He's going to play second better. Can um, play shortstop. But I did not say he's going to be a pitcher. No, <laughs> no, that's, that's true. Um, you know, Jason did mention the pitcher, but, you know, he, he knows talent. And, and the more he saw Jerickson, I was fortunate enough to be with our scout, Chew Allaby, the first time we walked onto a field. He's 14 years old in Curacao. And I just saw him take ground balls, and that was sweet. And a great arm, you know, going across the field. And, and then A.J. and a couple of our other guys came on the plane, and, you know, a half hour later or so, and I said, what do you think, Coach? I said, I just saw him take ground ball. I said, I think he's got a chance to be a true shortstop. Well, anyway, we ran him uh, a 60-yard dash, and he ran like 7-8, which is not good. Couldn't run, but he was a switch hitter that put the bat on the ball both sides. And he couldn't run, but he ran 7-8, and then he said, Oh, Jerry said, but you're a great kid, you know, but he loves the game. So 7-8, so I can do better. I'll run again. I want to run again. Okay. Seven, eight, five. <laughs> Seven, eight, five. Oh, I can do better. I'll run again. Seven, nine. <laughs> Four it's times he out, ran. Right? Four times he ran. Anyway, my point is he worked on his speed, and now he's a fringe average runner. But where is he going to play is a great question. He could play short or second. He's not like Harper or... Trout or those guys that they're great players and they're different kind of players, but they walk into a situation where that's their spot. They're the center field. They're the outfield. They got the job. Jerickson has a hard time with Elvis and Kinsler, you know, right now. And right now he's playing some left field to get him in the lineup. But that's the great question. We'll, we'll How tell, are you doing? We'll tell the story <laughs> about uh, <laughs> I want to introduce Dennis Sheen, a good friend of mine. Um, Dennis now is a see Dennis likes to he's on the road a lot so that's why we had him drive around Manhattan <laughs> several times to get here to, you know. 30 miles <laughs> <long. laughs> so thank you thanks for coming Dennis um, just let me Dennis is now with, with the Atlanta Braves and uh, he's their the Northeast supervisor um, I knew Dennis when he got to know Dennis when he was with the Kansas City Royals uh, over the years and we worked together and I tried to help him out as best I could <laughs> uh, but Dennis just give us this, uh, just tell us a little bit about your background, you know, what, what you've done over the years, where you, you know, teams you've worked with, what you do now? Well, I started uh, coaching in uh, 1972. Uh, coached co- junior college ball, I did that for 10 years, upstate New York, we were uh, top 10 in the country, 9 in the 10 years I was there, and I had, during that time, I had 7 kids drafted. Uh, through that process, I became friendly with a scout named Will George, and he put me on as an associate scout. From associate scout, I became part-time with the Marlins. I started in uh, professionally in 92. Uh, I managed independent ball in Rhode Island, which probably for the worst. Be careful what I said. Uh, <laughs> put it this way, our very first paycheck bounced. So that tells, <laughs> that tells you what kind of t- organization it was, but... It was a great experience. I met friends for life, 
And I started full-time with the Marlins in 98, worked with them until the debacle of uh, John Henry buying the Red Sox and firing 80 people. Valentine's Day at 6.35 at night, to be exact. Um, then set out the contract, went over to Detroit, left Detroit for what I thought was going to be greener pastures in Kansas City, which I thought was going to lead to a pro job uh, instead of an amateur job. And then two years ago, I went over to Atlanta and the rest is history. I, I want to ask you some of the questions I've asked these guys. I know just so people understand, the Northeast is a, entirely, and, and Coach will talk about this too, is a whole different market. I mean, Dennis and I have gone through this over the years, you know, the South and California, and now the international market, there's so much bigger hot beds for baseball players. I mean, because they can play generally this year-round. Much The weather is conducive, the environment is conducive. Um, of course, there's Texas always has the football, but it's another story. Um, so they interfere with the baseball a little bit. But, one of the questions I ask these guys is, you know, is there any, could you give us a sense of some of the players that you, like, signed or discovered or noticed that over the course of your career that you can remember, like, really highlighted your career? Does anyone guess well, mind? One person, uh, we draft, when I was with the Marlins, we drafted in the eighth round. His name was Jeff Fulcino. Um, Fulci has pitched eight years in the big leagues. Um, Everybody can see. He was the 13th man on a 13-man pitching staff at UConn. Uh, my cross-checker happened to believe that I, what I believed in a person, and uh, he was six. He was six four, two fifty. Last year, when he went on the DL with the Nationals, he was six five, two ninety to a big, big human being. And I think he's one of the highlight of what I've done. Because he was relatively an obscure person that I believed in, and he showed what the ability, what I saw. He put it, he put it out forth to uh, do what he's done for eight years. Coach, I'll ask you this question next. Thing. You know, we talked about the players that we found, players that are, that are good players. That, that we talked about the pro bars and guys at you know, the Speeds and the Henkins that you've known over the years. Which players, and I know there's going to be a lot, because we know a lot of these guys fail. I mean, the majority of players come up fail. We know that, right? Give us a sense of some of the guys that maybe you thought maybe bigger stars or, you know, impact players that really never panned out, you know, over the course of your career. Do you remember if there's any, you know, yeah. guys that, I, that never panned out? Well, they maybe had a higher profile going into either drafted or from, you know, even in the system already that started off really well but just didn't quite get over the hump to the... Yeah, well, I go to our uh, some of our drafts uh, with the Rangers. Poor uh, Bone, we thought would be a regular type guy and did not turn out to be. Uh, we drafted a pitcher named Michael Main who we thought was going to be a good, good young kid and didn't didn't do anything. Uh, you know, sometimes injuries stop these sure. kind of guys too. But sure. um, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, is anyone maybe with anyone with the Blue Jays that comes to mind, or just the, I know uh, one of yeah, you guys on the spot. Yeah, well, no, a lot of the top picks that we had, the Blue Jays, were not the better guys. A lot of right. the guys were lower picks, scout type guys, as opposed to 
the organizational top guy, Webster Garrison from we took real, real high, Augie Schmidt, we took super high, we took him over Gooden, right back there. We took him over Dwight Gooden that year. Um, you know, yeah, so. This gets interesting. I want to jump back to Dennis a second. I, you mentioned you had the progression of your career. Did you have any like particular mentors through the scouting process that you could, you know, credit for some of what you've learned over the years, or just an all-on-the-job thing? <laughs> you know what? When I was the associate scout, uh, the area guy for the Marlins was Will George. I boarded Will and Billy Shear, and I learned a, a lot about pitching from Will. Um, but I think one of the two guys that really stick out the most to me besides Will would be Murray Cook, who was my first cross-checker, and uh, Billy Singer, who was our national guy with the Marlins, who really helped me with my creative thinking and the process of uh, seeing where guys what you see with the guys and where do you think they're going to go and some little different things about projection and different things. Those two guys really on the job on the job training, you know, for me. I'm gonna this will be the last question then we'll open up for any questions for everybody here. I'm gonna ask uh, Don and, and Dennis this question. So they've been in the game for a really long time and you know seen a lot of different things. So from a scouting perspective, I'll ask Don first. How has scouting, in your mind, changed in maybe the last 15 to 25 years? I mean, there's a lot of things information-wise and the amount of scouts that are out there and all kinds of different things that, you know, <laughs> you could see in the years. That's changed a lot, an awful lot, really. I mean, it used to be that the area scout was the guy. When you drafted a guy, whether it's a first-round pick or whatever, it was the area scout that did the negotiation, that did the contract, that did the whole thing, this, that, and the other. Today, they get agents involved, and the agents want to talk to, they don't want to talk to the area scout. They don't want to talk to the scouting director. They don't want to talk to the regional supervisor. They don't want to talk to the assistant general manager. They want to talk to the general manager. They want to go as high as they can go. And the money has changed tremendously, but the money has changed throughout society. It's a reflection of society, all the things that have changed. There's so much more information out there today. Uh, unbelievable on that computer and that Twitter, Twitter, and that Facebook or whatever that is. I mean, guys, there's so much information out there that... Uh, and then another way that it's really changed is those, uh, all those workout, tryout, whatever it is, the showcase. showcase showcases, and then everybody goes to the showcases, college coaches, everybody, and and how many real prospects in those showcases? I don't know, um, but how many people are led to think they might be prospects more than should be, I think. But anyway, uh, that's changed a lot, but you got to go to those things. Uh, in scout, you got to go because all the players are in one place. Uh, does that have a propensity or a possibility of making a 
a scout a little bit lazier? I think yes, if he, if he is that way. Because your job as a scout, and, and Dennis would adhere to this too, your job as a scout is to find the guy like he's talking about. To find somebody that the scouting bureau doesn't find, or to find somebody that the showcase doesn't have there, and so on. Otherwise, you know... Right, that information's out there. Yeah, already already you don't need it. You need information that's not out there right. that you dig into. Dennis, you the way it's changed since I started, my first year of scouting, we did our reports in triplicate by hand. <laughs> my second year was computers. All right. Now, fortunately uh, for my team, we do not use, the area guy does not have to use video, but you videotape a guy, you worry about his statistics, you worry about this and that. You get so involved in all the peripheral stuff for the report that you sometimes you lose sight of scouting the player. You know, you lose the, you, you, you know, you're you're busy. You get you videotape the guy, and the only time he gets a base hit or he makes contact with the ball, you got the camera on, and you don't get a time. <laughs> now try to get you can't. I don't care what anybody, any scout says, you can't get a time off right. off the video. You know, you could try and stuff like it. Best for we, your naked we, eye. We, we agree with that, actually. You know, <laughs> as far as, you know, that's to me, that's the way it's changed most. And everybody today, is, it's bold to have an advisor. And they are a royal team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, they tell you one thing one minute, and they tell you the next thing the next minute. And the family doesn't, all of a sudden, the family doesn't want to talk to you, no matter how much relationships. Our job as an area scout is to build a relationship from the fall, go in to see the, see the better prospects in the fall, start talking to them, let, let the, introduce ourselves because, as we said earlier, the area guy does the signing. They have to establish the trust. We're, you know, I tell people, well, we are the used car salesman. We want to give the player the best amount, most amount of money he wants, but we still have to hold the player in line. You know, and they have to believe what we're telling them is the truth. All right, and we start with that relationship early, then that's fine. And all of a sudden, two days before the draft, or the day of the draft, or the day after the draft, you know, all of a sudden now there's an advisor involved, and everything changes. So, right, it's a, it's a very. I know from the stuff we worked with when I've done the work with the Royals. I mean, video is so prevalent now, um, and I'm sure these guys can talk about that. I mean. Even with us, from you know the more on, the, on a different level, the video is everywhere. Um, you know, we do the video, the showcases do the video now. Um, they video, they, you know, everybody descends upon these showcases, but yet they videotape them all anyway. So it's very interesting to see how this whole this whole thing plays out. Um, before I open up this up to questions to you guys, I, I want to thank everybody here for coming. I apologize for Dennis being running around the city. I needed to get there better. <laughs> um, but but thank you, Chief. <laughs> yeah. but, but thank you guys. You know, for taking the time today. It's been a great week for Ball Star, and, um, and thank you all for coming out here. We really appreciate it. But um, let's open up for some questions. If you guys have anything, and we'll just start, we'll start up here. Sorry. Uh, you work with Braves. You work with the Rangers. Two of the better organizations in terms of developing talent. Is there something? I guess the question would be, why is it that you guys have stood above all the rest of recent years? Is there something that you guys do that, that others don't? Is it just good scouting? 
<laughs> Be my guess. <laughs> well, no, I, I would say that the most important thing is getting talented players into the organization so that player development can work with them and get them better. So hopefully the the initial evaluation is, is a major factor in, in, in that. Uh, the other thing is that um, I think I, the Braves and the Rangers are two of the organizations that hire people, coaching, uh, whatever, throughout managing, throughout the system that are tireless workers that really care about the kid. First comes the player, the kid, you know, get him whatever we can do to get him better, especially at a young age with the 16, 17-year-old kids. You need somebody that will spend countless hours with these guys if they have the makeup to want to spend the countless hours with, with our guy. So I think it's hiring dedicated uh, people in, uh, you know, getting the, the good player in the first place and then hiring dedicated people managing and coaching them. I, to me, I, I've, I've worked for some very uh, good baseball people. Uh, David Dombrowski and Al Avila and uh, Roland Freeman when I first started with the Marlins. Top shelf individuals. When I came over to it, I worked with David and Al over in Detroit. But when I came over to Atlanta, I want to say it's amazing to see their model and how it works. And what he says is they believe in their guys. They believe in their area guys. They believe in their uh, uh, player development staff. And they trust them to do their job. And and it's been been successful. I guess if I could ask just a quick follow-up. Being in the markets that your teams are in, does that give you a little more leeway to to doing it the way that it should be done and doing it your way? So... Whereas New York wants wants everything right now, or Boston may want everything right now. Uh, I would say, yeah, uh, we're we're not as uh, high profile as New York or Boston or whatever, if that's the, the correct term. Uh, so to some extent, yes, on that. But uh, the way the rules are now, and they just come into effect here in the last year or so. It almost penalizes good scouting teams because the teams that finish at the bottom are the teams that have the most money to offer players, whether it be international or, you know, in the United States. (coughs) So consequently, you have to do more scouting, better scouting, when you finish where Atlanta and the Rangers have been finishing because you're not going to get that. You're going to have to get scout scout type guys that are not just sitting there that uh, guys that our grandmothers could have picked out you know <laughs> <laughs> or, or you could have the moral just throw money at you and make a trade and they're going to finish that money so sorry <laughs> uh, uh, Don yes sir in a way I'm not happy to be it because had I known you 45 years ago you would have signed me as a left handed pitcher in a second they have 10% talent, but 90% heart. <laughs> 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 yeah, you kind of remind me of Bobby Shins. 
Seattle team right in their backyard. Don't, uh, he's not signing. We don't know if he'll walk again. You know, don't mess with our son, so to speak. So Pat Gillick went to see John and Linda Olerud, the parents, and, and uh, they they didn't even hardly give time of day. They, no, get out of here, kind of thing. We're not, we told you, don't draft. So Pat said, Don, we're taking you to, you know, to, uh, What's the name of the Washington State University? Pullman. Pullman, Washington. We're taking you to Pullman. So, so we go to Pullman. There's Mr. State Restaurant there. And actually, there's a train running right over to Mr. State. Anyway, I sit next to John, and, and it, it's cold. Family, they don't, they don't really want us there, and this, that, and the other. And I said, John, I said, you know, we're staying over here at uh, Moscow, uh, Idaho, across the way, and at the University Inn. And I said, John, I said, all these people over there at the front desk and over there, all going around, Gratsky, Gratsky, Gratsky. I said, is that a sister city to uh, Russia, Moscow? I said, is that, you know what that means, John? I said, that's, they talk Russian like Gratsky, Gratsky. And he looked at me, and John, you know, gentleman John, he said, well, no, sir. He said, I I really don't know what that means. And I said, well, I said, yesterday, one of the ladies at the front desk finally told me what it means. Krachki, Krachki. And he said, 
well, what does it mean? And I said, the key to the garage. <laughs> and God said, you've got me there. And that started a relationship. And to this day, John and Linda Olerud and John and Kelly are phenomenal people. It was great all summer. Saw him all summer. He pitched. He hit. He hit like crazy. I saw him 17 games before he swung and missed. Um, and never talked to him. Just sat there. And Bobo is a coach. He's always looking around. You know, looking at me because he wants him back the next year. Matter of fact, John made a... I'm going on again. No, it's okay. That's okay. John made a base running mistake, and Bobo told him, "See, you got to come back to school. Your mind isn't right." <laughs> <laughs> so I never talked to John, and uh, and then right toward the end, we're in Hawaii, uh, Waikiki Beach, and uh, and after the game, I said to John, "Hey, you want to go to dinner tonight?" "Yes, sir. I'd like to." So we go. The Denny's, which is an upscale Denny's right on the wall. <laughs> and John can eat. Order whatever you want. It's big steak. He can really eat. But so anyway, uh, we're halfway through the meal. We're talking, whatever. And I look him in the eye. I said, John, I said, what do you think of Fred McGriff? And John, very analytical and so on. He said, well, he said, I think he's got a good swing. And I said, really? I said, you think you could take his job? And looked him right in the eye, you know. And he looked back. Ah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and from that point on, we said, I took him back to the dorm. And we sat and talked in the car until 5 a.m. about get out there, get your career started, try to be, you know, be all you can be, this and that, go against the best every day, use the wood bat every day, get in the pro, you know, take you right to the big leagues, John. Oh, goodness. So anyway, he went to the back in the room at 5 a.m. We talked for six hours or so, and I called Pat Gilling. I said, he's going to sign. He wants to play, because, you know, he saw that. So there's a guy that, great competitor, but it didn't jump out at you in a quiet way, you know? But it's a lot of fun with John O'Rourke. Could you say a little bit more about why BP is changing its focus to 